You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, February 8th, 2024. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Brooklyn Lambright brings to us a new segment called History Unbound. This news segment explores American history and culture through a critical lens. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, Dark Past, Bright Future, a segment produced by Bring It On's Liz Mitchell, featuring accounts of black history that often go overlooked. More following today's feature report. But first, your local headlines. The Bloomington Board of Public Works approved the lane, sidewalk, alley, and road closure request from Milestone Contractors for the Clear Creek Tunnel Project at their meeting on January 30th. This project, previously known as the Hidden River Pathway Project, aims to prevent flooding downtown on Kirkwood Avenue. Public Works Director Adam Wason shared the history and the need for the project. This is... um Jane, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe one of the final phases of the downtown portions of the Clear Creek um, stormwater culvert construction projects. Um, it's also been, last. the last phase was referred to as the Hidden River Project, um, but so this is the culmination of, I believe, now the fifth or sixth phase of all of these projects that go all the way down to First and Walnut. So um, when we talk about the... F- uh, Jane, correct me if I'm wrong on any of these. You'll, yep, yeah, thank you. Um, so, right. the, you know, this is a, this is one of the major portions of the project that um, is part of the series of projects that will complete this overall stormwater project for the downtown. So when we talk about the downtown flooding instances of uh, 2019, 20. Well, 2019, I think, was the last big downtown flood, maybe. Um, You know, this is all in an effort to increase that capacity throughout the downtown to get the stormwater uh, away from the downtown and to keep Kirkwood from flooding. This phase of the Clear Creek Tunnel project will affect the area around Dunn Street and Indiana Avenue, where they meet Kirkwood Avenue. Kyle Baugh, an engineering field specialist on the project, talked about the project timeline. I know the start of the project is looking... uh, beginning of February, uh, ending around mid-August, um, and then the engineering right-of-way team is looking at those uh, sensitive times move out, um, you know, weekends where graduation, yeah, where we'll have an influx of people from out of town that might not be familiar with those routes. Thomas Gott, the Milestone project manager, interjected that the planned shutdown of Indiana Avenue will be between May and June, when most college students are off campus. Wason added that the construction timeline could impact Bloomington businesses and festivals, but the board is in communication with the downtown business owners and organizers. 
There are conversations happening right now with the Economic and Sustainable Development Department and the other downtown stakeholders, restaurants, businesses about what um, could be possible in terms of this summer. Um, we've also been working with the special event folks, so um, trying to coordinate those special events that utilize Kirkwood and the timing of this. Um, you know, Pride's not going to be in the same footprint that they probably have been over the last couple of years because of this. Um, we're hopeful that for Street Arts Festival by Labor Day is not going to have any impacts that will be back open by then. Um, you know, Grand Falloon being further down on Kirkwood can, you know, so we'll be we'll be working with all those event organizers. Board member Kyla Cox Deckard added that this project, though disruptive, is necessary to maintain the downtown area. Yeah, I think just to echo um, Adam's points, we realize that this will affect uh, some of our what has become, you know, summertime traditions uh, in this particular stretch. But it is a major infrastructure project that has to be done to preserve the space that we enjoy um, there. So, uh, you know, recognizing that that is going to have those impacts temporarily for this summer. Um, look forward to having this final phase of the project complete. The board members approved the lane, sidewalk, alley, and road closure request from Milestone Contractors for the Clear Creek Tunnel Project. The Board of Public Works will meet again on February 13th. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Brooklyn Lambright brings us a new segment called History Unbound. This segment explores American history and culture through a new lens. Today, she breaks down Lady Liberty and why the ideals the United States attaches to her are not always reality. She also speaks with local community members, the assistant director for the Center of Documentary Research and Practice at IU, Barbara Truesdell. For more, we turn to WFHB correspondent Brooklyn Lambright. Stand as a beacon of liberty throughout the world. Monuments like the Statue of Liberty are a way to visualize the invisible. When you think of the Statue of Liberty, you might think of something like this. Immigration and my own trips to New York. Or this. I think of green just because of that's what the color is and everywhere that you see it, it's the same shade of green. Or maybe even this. Is a representation of that everybody should have civil liberties and be able to express them and not be um, persecuted in any way. But what if the Statue of Liberty stands for something other than liberty, freedom, 
and justice for all. The Green Lady on Liberty Island has become synonymous with immigration and America's acceptance of it. But it wasn't until the late 20th century that Lady Liberty became known as a welcoming icon to immigrants entering America. In fact, Lady Liberty as a symbol of immigration wasn't what the monument's makers originally had in mind. It wasn't until years later that the Emma Lazarus poem, The New Colossus, made the bronze statue synonymous with immigrants entering Ellis Island. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Lazarus's poem, along with many other factors, eventually turned the Lady of Liberty into the mother of exiles, a welcomer of immigrants to the nation of the free. Welcome to the very first episode of History Unbound, a new segment here at WFHB. Each episode will make you think about American history a bit differently. This episode is called Liberty's Folly. I'm your host, Brooklyn Lambright. But let's go back to the beginning, when Lady Liberty was just an idea between two Frenchmen. The statue was conceived by French sculptors Édouard de Laboulaye and Frédéric Auguste Bartholdi. Laboulaye greatly admired the U.S., and he saw the country as a successful example of republicanism. He wanted the U.S. to serve as a model for France and Europe as a whole. Republicanism, which is the rejection of aristocratic rule, became widely popular during the French and American revolutions. Republicanism placed individual liberty and democracy at the center of a new wave of politics. Laboulaye saw the statue as a universal representation of liberty, as well as freedom from aristocratic rule. I think it's a matter of layering of meanings. That's Barbara Truesdell, the assistant director for the Center of Documentary Research and Practice at Indiana University. Certainly that idea of that universal idea is still there of freedom as something that belongs to all human beings. But it certainly came to represent America far more than France. Laboulaye greatly admired the U.S. After all, America had established individual liberty with its defeat of Britain. But Laboulaye's main critique of the U.S. was its tolerance for slavery. But that wasn't an issue for him after the Civil War. He saw it as an opportunity to finally express his admiration for America without constraint. By the early 1870s, Laboulaye had fully developed his gift to the U.S. It would commemorate the centennial of the American Revolution. Frederick Auguste Bartholdi, the co-creator of Lady Liberty, met Laboulaye in the late 1860s. Bartholdi was interested in creating large sculptures, so he was just the man to make Laboulaye's ideas a reality. The two decided to model the American Statue of Liberty after a figure called Marianne. Marianne is the female symbol of the Republic or Republicanism. Remember how important Republicanism was during the creation of Lady Liberty? Well, it's no wonder that she was modeled after the female symbol of it. Marianne represented resistance to oppression, and more importantly, a resistance to slavery. Marianne was usually pictured wielding weapons, and her fight to end oppression was bloody and violent. The Marianne figure typically holds fire as well. But the Statue of Liberty doesn't necessarily symbolize a violent uprising, nor does she seem to call for one. While Our Lady Liberty does hold a torch, it seems to light the way 
rather than stoke the fires of revolution. So while modeled after Marianne, Our Lady Liberty is much more peaceful. Lady Liberty also makes no references to the end of slavery. But she almost did. Bartholdi originally planned to picture the statue with broken chains in her hands to represent the end of slavery in the U.S. But after a visit to the U.S. to gauge support for the statue, he realized that the U.S. was still deeply divided on the idea of slave emancipation. He decided to replace the chains in her hands with a book of law. Instead, he placed the chains at her feet, where they're mostly out of view. And some scholars have criticized the Statue of Liberty for glossing over the emancipation of slaves in America. If Lady Liberty stands for universal freedom, then why does she seem to only symbolize white freedom? After all, La Boulet was proud of America's abolition of slavery. I think it's interesting that Lady Liberty points towards Europe, not Africa. She doesn't seem to welcome immigrants at the southern or western borders. It feels significant that Lady Liberty negates slave emancipation especially when her construction occurred around the same time as the abolition of slavery in America. We'll discuss her connection to black freedom and her representation of the white female figure in America. I have all that and more coming up. In both Europe and the U.S. at this time, the white woman was seen as a representation of domesticity. As homemaker and subservient to white men, the white woman was the perfect figure for a peaceful representation of liberty. The figure of white female domesticity also came to represent something else. In the late 19th century, after slave emancipation, racial terror in the form of lynching was making its way across the U.S. White men would falsely accuse black men of assaulting white women in their community as an excuse to lynch innocent black men. The Statue of Liberty became a representation of the ultimate white woman on a pedestal. In one case, the Statue of Liberty was used in a lynching. On April 14, 1906, a mob of angry whites lynched three black men. Their names are Horace Duncan, Fred Coker, and Will Allen. In Springfield, Missouri, the mob dragged the three men to the top of the Gottfried Tower, which happened to be topped with a replica of the Statue of Liberty. The men were hung from the replica. Lady Liberty has been used to justify horrific crimes. It's understandable that some Black Americans see the statue ambivalently. For some, she represents the ironic nature of American freedom. America says it's a free nation where everyone deserves life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But when we look at America's past, those qualities have only been attainable for a portion of American citizens. For much of American history, only white land-owning men could achieve liberty. Early in the statue's creation, she represented the right to be free from government interference. But many black Americans throughout America would have gladly welcomed government interference if it meant an end to racial violence and terror the connection between the Statue of Liberty and African Americans is complicated. I mean, how would you view a symbol that has been used to justify racial violence? Some black abolitionists used the Statue of Liberty to advocate for change. One African American newspaper used the Statue of Liberty during World War I to critique America's fight for liberty abroad. How could we fight for liberty in America when Jim Crow laws still existed here? Throughout history, Black Americans have used the Statue of Liberty to comment on the irony of American freedom. They have used her to demand greater equality, stir social change, and hold America accountable. 
The Atlanta Daily World published a cartoon protesting the Red Cross's policy at the time, which separated African-American and white blood. The newspaper showed the statue receiving two blood transfusions, one which represented a white arm and another which represented a black arm. Underneath, the cartoon read, quote, Memo to the Red Cross. Do recognize that blood is blood, and democracy will be the better for it. Our boys must not die for the lack of it, democracy or blood, end quote. The cartoon critiques segregated blood transfusions, which led to the deaths of black soldiers. More metaphorically, the cartoon reminds America of its need for citizens of all color in order to maintain liberty and democracy. America shouldn't just represent liberty for all, it should have liberty for all. So we've discussed the complicated relationship between the Statue of Liberty and Black Americans, how she hasn't always represented liberty for all Americans, how she's even been used to justify lynching and racial terror. But what about immigration? As much as Lady Liberty represents liberty and freedom, she also represents immigration. Certainly Lady Liberty's freedom applied to immigrants entering the U.S., right? Well, not so much. More on that after the break. The Statue of Liberty didn't become a symbol of immigration until the 1920s and 30s, when immigration to America had mostly died down. From the 1880s up until World War I, white Americans saw immigrants as a threat to their jobs and livelihoods. During this time, only certain immigrants were wanted in the U.S. Northern and Western Europeans were preferred, but Southern and Eastern Europeans, along with Asians, were highly discriminated against. Immigration to the U.S. slowed down beginning in the 1920s immigrants began to assimilate to American culture. Only then was the statue finally seen as a welcoming symbol to immigrants. The author of White Freedom and the Lady of Liberty, Tyler Stovall, says, quote, It honored the descendants of immigrants who had become Americans, not the immigrants themselves, end quote. The statue, at least for much of its history, honored immigrants who achieved whiteness. There's a rumor that Lady Liberty was supposed to be modeled after an African woman. Would this have changed who she represents if she had represented the abolition of slavery and held those chains in her hands? Would America have used her to justify such awful terror? This is completely different from what most Americans learned growing up. We learned that the Statue of Liberty, the mother of exiles, was a monument to America's acceptance of all people. The statue being a symbol of liberty, it became a, a symbol of the country that espouses liberty and claims that this is where liberty has a home and is unique and is available to everyone, which of course it is not. Laboulaye and Bartholdi wanted the statue to stand for a universal theme of liberty the idea that anyone can overcome powerful oppressors. But America had other ideas for its interpretation of Lady Liberty. The Statue of Liberty is still used today as a symbol of freedom and immigration, liberty and hope. It's used in advertising and pop culture. Just visit New York City and you'll see Lady Liberty's green figure in windows and billboards. It continues to be a relevant symbol and it continues to be a contentious symbol, as it should be, because part of liberty is being able to to argue <laughs> about true. what it means. 
Now that we've unbound Lady Liberty's past, you might see her a bit differently. The next time she appears in an advertisement or magazine, think about how she's being used. Think about who she represents Liberty for. Thanks for listening to the first episode of History Unbound. Make sure to check out WFHB.org for more information on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, tune in next month for more. Be sure to follow History Unbound on Instagram at history.unbound. I'm your host, Brooklyn Lambright. Now it's time for Dark Past, Bright Future, a segment produced by Bring It On's Liz Mitchell, featuring accounts of black history that often go overlooked. Today, Mitchell presents a brief history of Garrett Morgan, the black inventor of the automotive traffic control light, and the story of an unsung black race car driver, Fred Patterson. We turn to Liz Mitchell for more. Dark Past, Bright Future. Lessons in African-American history that you won't read about in any textbook. Telling the stories of the struggle of those who came before us to build a better path to a brighter future for all of us. Good evening. This is a new edition of Dark Past, Bright Future. When you are driving your car, have you ever taken a moment to think about Have there ever been an African-American who built automobiles? I suppose, just like many of you today, that never gave it a second thought about who did this or who did that in this country. We just take everything for granted. Have you ever heard the name Frederick Douglass Patterson? If you haven't, I'm not surprised. Mr. Patterson lived from 1871 to 1932 and was the first African-American to build motorized cars. His father, Charles Richardson Patterson, a former enslaved person, created C.R. Patterson and Sons Company, located in Greenfield, Ohio. They began building fashionable carriages in 1865. And upon the death of his father, Frederick Patterson inherited the company and began building motorized vehicles. Frederick Douglass Patterson was the fourth of five children born to Josephine and Charles Richardson Patterson. And of course, you could tell that he was named after the abolitionist Frederick Douglass. In 1888, he attended Ohio State University where he played football and may have been the first black football player at the school on the varsity team. He left the university and taught school in Louisville, Kentucky for two years. The first Patterson automobile, named the Patterson Greenfield, rolled off the line on September 23rd, 1915. Unfortunately, Henry Ford debated his Model T 
on October 1st, 1908. And by that point, when the Greenfield Patterson car rolled off, the Model T had already captured the car buying market. The Patterson Greenfield automobile sold for $850 and was reputed to be a higher quality automobile than the Henry Ford's Model T, also known as the Tim Lizzie. The Patterson Greenfield car had a 40-horsepower Continental four-cylinder engine and reached a top speed of 50 miles per hour. Two factors hurt the sales of the Patterson Greenfield car. One was, as I mentioned before, it debated later than Henry Ford's Model T. And second, Henry Ford was able to sell his car for $825. $25 less than the Patterson Greenfield car. You might not think that was much, but back in those days, $25 was a lot of money. From 1915 to 1920, the Patterson Greenfield produced 150 vehicles of two styles, the two-door roaster and the four-door touring car. The company's slogan was, if it's a Patterson, it's a good one. By 1920, the company had shifted production to buses and trucks, and Patterson renamed the company to Greenfield Bus Body Company. But during the 1930s, competition from Detroit became increasingly more intense. So by 1939, the company had manufactured from its beginnings carriages, automobiles, buses, and trucks. The doors closed after 74 years of providing fine transportation. I would be remiss not to mention Garrett Morgan, who invented the three-way position traffic signal. Born in Kentucky in 1877, Garrett Morgan would go on to become one of the great African-American inventors of his time. By the 1920s, he had already had several inventions which allowed him success. Therefore, he was able to purchase an automobile, reportedly making him the first African-American in Cleveland, Ohio to do so. He witnessed an accident that sparked an idea. Traffic signals had already been invented, but they consisted of two signals, stop and go. The problem was they needed a caution light, a yellow light. And to solve this problem, Morgan invented a T-shaped traffic signal that had a third light, the yellow caution light. On November 20th, 1923, Morgan was awarded a patent for the three-way position traffic light. And just so you know, he also invented an early version of the gas mask. And since we're talking about cars and traffic lights, let's talk about one of the country's great African-American race car drivers. Despite being barred from the Indianapolis 500 
Charlie Wiggins became an expert mechanic in his native town of Evansville, Indiana. In 1922, he moved to Indianapolis and opened up his own shop and built a race car out of nothing but junkyard parts. He nicknamed his race car the Wiggins Special, and his dream was to drive in the Indianapolis 500. But as we all know, he was prevented from doing so because of the color of his skin. Nevertheless, undeterred, he and several other African-American drivers formed their own racing league called the Golden Glory, where Wiggins was nicknamed the Negro Speed King. In 1934, white race car driver Bill Cummings hired Wiggins to tune his car for the Indianapolis 500 racing circuit. However, to do so, Wiggins posed as a driver or, sorry, as a janitor in order to elude Jim Crow laws. Thanks to Wiggins, Cummins won the 500 race and set a new track record. This concludes this edition of Dark Past, Bright Future, and I hoped you learned something this evening that you did not know before. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won.